once was a ship that put to sea The name of the ship was a belly of tea The winds blew up her bow, dipped down below My billy boys blow Soon may the weatherman come To bring us sugar and tea and rum One day when the tonguing is done We'll take our leave and go Hey folks, today I have an interesting personality Uh... Uh, his name is Russ. Uh, he's a good uh, friend, uh, somebody who's much more creative than I uh, can ever be. Uh, and uh, he is in the NFT space. And uh, with all the craze these days with NFT, uh, this is also a personal journey and self-learning. So I invited him to come talk about what he's working on on at Terra Virtua. He's joined by Patrick. Uh, Patrick is an equally interesting person. Uh, he ha- runs his own YouTube channel. Uh, description I have included uh, uh, below, the link there. And uh, so it's interesting to bring both of these folks uh, talk about crypto in general, uh, you know, crypto philosophy in general, and then um, where the NFT is heading before I go into uh, uh, into the talk, I have a word from my sponsor. Uh, so, uh, you know, you want to keep your crypto coins ideally uh, offline from hackers uh, as they can be stolen or copied. Uh, so that's where Trezor, uh, the hardware wallet, comes in. And you can go offline and store your coins with Trezor. Uh, uh, you can go to trezor.io and there's also a link in the, in the description below. Turn up below my belly boys blow Soon may the weatherman come To bring us sugar and tea and rum One day when the tonguing is done We'll take our leave and go Soon may the weatherman come To bring us sugar and tea and rum One day when the tonguing is done We'll take our leave and go She had not been two weeks from shore And down on her So Terra Virtua is uh, an immersive uh, non-fungible tokens platform or a place where you can collect uh, digital items from uh, intellectual properties such as uh, coming from like Paramount Pictures, uh, Legendary Studios. Uh, so we've had uh, movie titles like Top Gun, The Godfather, all these things. Uh, and basically we're delivering them to people in the form of uh, digital collectibles and uh, augmented reality, virtual reality. Um, and then also on our Unity platform, which is it's kind of like a, a 3D environment where you have all these different areas that almost like templates to display your things that you've like acquired from these drops that we uh, do periodically for different things. Um, so like right now you can have a fan cave and display uh, your like, so they have, they have this Funko pop esque uh, intellectual property of their own called V flex. And so they actually mirror different brands. So you'll have the sports ones you'll have the uh, anyway. So you can display those on your shelves. You can, uh, you can get a life-size uh, Pacific Rim. I didn't mention Pacific Rim is one of them. And one of those Jaeger bots could be in your uh, Terra Dome. So all these things, it's really just giving you an idea of where we're headed. Uh, eventually in the future, you're going to be able to create your own rooms, uh, be able to uh, share sessions with other people. Uh, we want to try and tie in augmented reality in a way where 
you can actually upload your own spaces into virtual reality. So someone could be visiting you, looking at your collection uh, in your actual like home space. Obviously, we'd have the privacy and and they wouldn't actually know that that is your actual home space. But like if you place things in AR, they'll also show up in your digital uh, environment as well. And if someone's visiting your uh, environment that you uploaded, that you could actually view that with uh, your AR um, device, like so your phone or something, you could see someone walking around your house, like looking at your collectibles that are on your wall. So the coolest thing ever is you place things down and they stay there. So like your collectibles, you could see an empty wall in your house, but then through your like little uh, share virtual lens or the app, you can see that there's all these like collectibles on the wall and all this other crazy stuff. So it really is creating this mixed reality environment where um, you can actually like, it's getting you the closest you can get to tangible goods without them actually being like tangible. Like we get very, very close and we just basically call it, it's like immersed digital collectibles. So um, yeah, that's basically what Terra Virtua it is. Uh, it's T-E-R-R-A-V-I-R-T-U-A dot I-O. Um, I think I spelled that right. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tricky. You'll, you'll memorize it after a few times. Like, uh, but yeah, that's how you get to it. Uh, you, you just get an account. There's a lot changing. We're going to an open system very soon. Uh, it was actually originally a walled garden where you, you had money in there. You couldn't get it out. You, but now they've sort of learned that in the crypto world, we have a bit of an expectation of like, uh, we expect things to be transferred in and out. So we're going full interoperable uh, within like the first, I think uh, by the end of February, I think, um, which is going to make things like just, it's going to be a huge game changer. And then we have like ways to earn on the platform. So if you collect uh, enough of like, I don't know, like all the Top Gun helmets, you can basically earn uh, like uh, a revenue share of that IP. So there's so many things and so many reasons to kind of like visit the platform daily just to improve your reputation score, all these things. Um, it's just going to be really fun. So uh, we have a Discord, we have a Telegram. So if you want to join those, you can find them on the website too. So anyway, that's, uh, that's where I come from. And, you know, he's uh, uh, for my listeners out there, he's, he's a, Russ is an amazing designer himself. <laughs> and so I myself are very interested, you know, I grew up with the, figurines and you know batman figures and all that so now this M- nft space you're coming uh you know so like you mentioned godfather uh you know digital um so unique characters and unique designs um i would be really interested in something like that and you know something you know that a piece of uh a piece of movie history you can own right yeah. and that your art would be unique well, to you but- yeah, let me give you like one little like here's the things. I was not a collector growing up. And it's it's a crazy reason why I wasn't a collector. And and this is actually like why is because like in my head I knew that like anything I collected would just I don't know, it just go away or I'd end up breaking it or like I don't know, maybe I'm just like careless. Let's just call that. Like here recently, actually one of the Top Gun helmets uh from the movies, uh, you know, like Top Gun, uh sold for two hundred thousand dollars. But the difference between our collectibles and, and, and a collectible like that is like eventually that helmet will, and I know it sounds crazy, but that helmet will turn into dust over a course of like, I don't know how many years it would take, but, and, and I don't know if they can try and preserve it or whatever, but like, I don't think people really wrap their heads around like the fact that we are actually creating the potential for something to exist indefinitely, as long as the blockchain is supported. But you know, it, it, it's really hard to think that that would ever not be the case, but you know, 
I definitely believe that it'll last longer than, you know, like, so it's, it's giving the potential for your kid children. It's like passing things down to your children's 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 like you could like, it is kind of crazy and I'm trying not to get too excited about it, but like the potential here is like absurd and it's nothing like we've ever like been, uh, you know, like, a like we've seen before to be cheesy. <laughs> All right. So in future, uh, and this is probably a very future forward question is like, maybe I can see since you guys are rapidly expanding, you know, in future, like uh, you guys can even serve like local markets, like local global markets, like say, I would say for the case of this uh, conversation, like say India has some local, uh, we have some characters in our movies in Bollywood, it's oh, huge yeah. throughout the world. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, uh, you know, somebody can own a piece and then the movie, uh, you know, industry can promote that as a merchandise, which is a digital yeah. form that you own these days, you know, you with especially with COVID and stuff like, you know, you don't want to, you know, people are like, oh, I don't want to like have something physical. I mean, I, at least I've seen people moving more towards the digital space. So that's so that's a plus and would be wonderful to see the evolution of that over time, you know, so. Yeah. Uh, other, otherwise, it'll just be me kicking it with all my digital goods by myself. Right? I doubt that'll be the case. <laughs> yeah, I don't but think like, so. That's uh, that's that point has you have crossed that inflection point, right? Yeah, Lippy, there's <laughs> that's, that's you're not know. the only one there. You know, it's a lot yeah. of people out there doing this. So, anyway, yeah, true true passion project here. Like, I I, I really really enjoy what I do. I love the helmets. So so the helmets are on the site terravirtual.io. Okay, mm-hmm. so we can check. Yeah. that out. awesome, wonderful. Timely yeah, also, the movie is uh, is uh, out, and you know it's uh, or uh, I'm actually not falling when Top Gun is it out or is it uh, Top Gun Two is coming out. Two soon, out, two's coming. Which soon. that's the, the the movie release got pushed back because the, they were actually going to be make uh, NFTs based on the new movie, but since the release got pushed back because of COVID, they're like, okay, let's just do the first movie, and right. so that's why you saw the original Top Gun movie. Uh, items and now we're all going to get to do this you know the next set of things with for the new movie which is really cool that's super cool like i i am a movie buff actually myself. and then yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and on. people don't realize like you 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 buy like so the helmets that you bought like now and then the helmet or the new movie comes out and the hype like it's just there really are opportunities to earn and then it's just really fun to get involved and like you don't have to get appraisals anymore. People just, they, they basically see how much someone paid, you know, because of the blockchain, the last for it. Then they're like, okay, I know I'm getting a good deal or I know I'm paying a little extra, but I believe in the product. So anyway, it's just fun because there's just so much that you can do. Uh, topics about crypto. So this is going to be a um, topic close to uh, pretty much all of us is consciousness and crypto. That's what I'm calling it. Uh, so um, what is consciousness guys? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I, I was quite <laughs> intrigued by this subject, consciousness and crypto, because I think when you find out about cryptocurrency, it triggers thoughts about how the world could be and may, mm-hmm. maybe turn, turns us all into critical theorists. I mean, as soon as Bitcoin arrived on the scene, everyone's a critical theorist about the financial system where they weren't before, because mm-hmm. there's like a fight between our dependency on the systems and like the tools we have to like overcome inherent asymmetries and power structures. So I think it's like consciousness is like an awareness of like who you are in this world and like how people interrelate and how 
we interrelate with the world and like what what that's dependent upon and cryptocurrency i think definitely like opens minds it like opens people's third eye to like challenge things that they wouldn't have challenged before that's definitely something i've noticed because when i was very vocal against the banker bailouts in 2008 i was like really this is the reason i got into crypto is because i was really into economics and um austrian economics like philosophy weird stuff in my 20s and no one understood like why i was into that um and then i was very vocally against the banker bailouts in 2008 uh and then got into crypto a few years later and i i felt so lonely at that time being against that because it was most people were afraid of sort of looking bad at the time. Like I'm sure most people at the time sort of didn't agree with it, but actually being vocal and making an effort to be some kind of activist against it when, you know, so many people were relying on it, relying on that money. It was like a big kind of power asymmetry. And like, I remember 2008, I felt so lonely saying these things, but now in the crypto community, you know, I feel part of a club that's everyone saying the same thing. So that, that's kind of nice. So, so, so would you say the, um, you know, the, uh, the sense of belonging that you talk about in your talks is, is quite strong in crypto communities. Is that well, yeah, and it relates right. to consciousness because right. consciousness is in some way thinking about how we belong in the world. Right. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, so like, I mean, crypto does something really interesting in terms of like, uh, I hope I'm using this correctly, like self-efficacy or um, kind of gives you like a glimpse inside of like what... Um, I don't know, freedom should look like. And I don't know, like it, and then I'm really trying hard to like combine, like you really chose an interesting two topics. So I'm trying to figure out where they like run parallel and I, I'm starting to see it and it makes sense. Um, but well, what got you into crypto, Russ? What, yeah. Like how did your journey start? Yeah. So my journey actually started, which, because I, I got to be an intrinsical part of a game because I love NFTs. Taru knows about this. I wasn't a trader to get go like my, like I honestly I mean I just saw crypto as a way to make some quick money whenever I first got in um you know it, it was during that first bull run uh you know way back in, in 2017 right um and so it wasn't the, but it wasn't the tokens like once I discovered NFTs it was like game over because my dream was to be a part of something I really enjoyed so and it's like it, at the time it was a game called crypto space commanders and i bought a spaceship and just actually owning a piece of something like that like is, is something i never had the uh, potential to do before until you know the blockchain kind of came into play and then you know with the global state everyone knows that i own this so no one can take it away from me so it's like one it's true ownership and and two it's feeling like you're part of something uh and so like i don't know like it's like you um, find a piece of your identity and this bit of ownership that you now have when before you really didn't have that ownership, if that makes any sense. So, uh, well, Ross, could you, could you explain how game item ownership works at the moment? 
Cause I think yeah. that might help people to understand like it, it really. And, and I know it from like a basic standpoint, I can only go so far in the technicals. Um, but as far as like uh, the global state goes, and then it's like running ledger that verifies that this is in my wallet and not someone else's wallet. And even like verifies the entire history from like the birth to every trade to every sale. Um, like, so you don't like, so like having, you have the, not only do you have the item, but you have the entire history of that item from its birth. And it's a verifiable record that this is like now in your hands. And so it's just some sort of like special moment that I think I had. And I feel like everyone has it at, at some point whenever they're, you know, like messing with NFTs and just fungible tokens in general um, is when they actually feel that like, wow, no one can take this away from me. And when someone, when you, when you enter into a phase where someone can't take something away from you, that's when you actually feel like you own it. And like with the crypto space, it's like, I feel like I'm owning things for the first time. Like here's, here's some interesting fact. If you stop paying your taxes on your house, you lose it. Like at least in the States, like if you stop paying property tax, even if you've paid off the house, you stop paying that property tax, the government gets your house. So you do, do you ever actually really own your house? No, you don't own it. You could probably pay up on the property taxes for like a hundred thousand years, whatever. I don't know. Like, I'm just saying like, you don't ever actually own anything. So getting to own something um, and you know, like a lot of people find their identity and what they do. And so we're taking, we're actually getting to own something now. And then I feel like it does tie into our identity. So I'm helping with Terra Virtua now. And then we're doing collections with like these top IP brands like Paramount Pictures, Top Gun or Paramount Pictures, Legendary Studios. And you get to actually like have collections and those collections are on your profile. And that profile shows your allegiance to like basically like stuff you really, really enjoy and things that really um, show who you are. And so like with with, you know, and I'm not trying to plug our platform, but what we sort of do is we allow you to to make collections and it to be displayed. And it almost does show sort of your identity. And I feel like identity is a bit of consciousness. So that's my take on it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to challenge you on your platform plugs. Okay. Do it. Just, I, I'm warning you. Okay. Come on. Uh, so people who don't know, like people listening in, uh, Russ was, uh, where I, I, I met him or we talked uh, every time on on Discord channel at the Blockstack. And so there, you know, a lot of our thinking is, uh, you know, the creative thinking process was very similar. And through Russ, you know, I found out about Patrick, uh, who's also on the show today. So uh, Russ currently is uh, uh, working with the startup. And Russ, I, I mean, I, you mentioned it's not a shameless plug, but this is a podcast that's going to be broadcast to people in mm-hmm. Southeast Asia also. These are mm-hmm. like... Um, uh, growing uh, population who's interested in crypto. Uh, you know, they are very new to it. Most of it, mm-hmm. people, you know, as in US and anywhere else, they first enter crypto through trading and then they get interested in other things or the other way around for some people. So, uh, but most of it now in India, people are interested in trading, but they are getting into the application space. So, you know, I would like you to talk a little bit about your um, NFT uh, yeah. startup that you're working in. What is NFT, first of all? I would, I'm going to, I'll probably keep it as concise as I can, but um, just the easiest way to really explain, like if you're just using crypto to trade, it's just like you're like just moving money around and like, so, but if right. you are dealing with NFTs, it's like you're buying 
fine arts, you're buying property and land, you're buying things that there can only be one of this item, especially if we're talking about ERC 721, uh, which is basically like there, this is this is we're minting one of these items that can never be replicated. ERC 20 is is what you're very used to. 721 right. is 721 is the non fungible token. The what right. are the ones that you and those are the only ones I'm really brushed up on. And yes. I really just. I'll, I'll fanboy 721 like all day. I don't really feel like there's <laughs> anything that's better. I do like the Popes. So mm-hmm. basically they're, they're non-transferable and, you know, maybe that's for another time. But uh, anyway, so yeah, getting back to fungible, non-fungible tokens, uh, that, that is just what it is. It's like, but, and that's why I never really understood it. You can't, like, I never understood people who just traded because it's like, you're only tasting like one very small part of the potential of blockchain. Um, when you get into it, like, at least for me, like when you got into non-fungibles and stuff, it just really opened up a whole nother world. And, and then all the stuff you can code on top of these smart contracts. And like, honestly, we're just in the very beginning stage of like the potential that we have here. Um, anyway, that was just the yeah. Ethereum plug. In no, but, <laughs> but I mean, that's interesting, man. I'm, I, yeah. <laughs> actually, you know, I am kind of neutral to all the currencies. I am actually hate shitcoins who like, and you you know who they are. And But anyways, but, you know, uh, it's a good point that you raise about fungibility and non-fungibility for my audiences. This is beginner-friendly beginner uh, podcast also. So yeah. like... I, I want to like think about this concept or talk, you know, in, in this, this concept of fungibility and, you know, and, uh, you know, uh, people in Southeast Asia, I would say India uh, uh, haven't grown up on say neuro neuromancer or like other sci-fi novels or like any sort of reading or, um, you know, the, the closest thing they relate to is the matrix, right? Hey, you know, throw up the corporations and whatnot. And like, um, you know, create something new. So most of uh, most of uh, people have worked for um, nine to five job, and recently only the the startup culture has emerged and it's growing fast, really fast. Growing gamers, by the way, in India as well as in any other part of the world. But I think that one of the uh, after China, one of the youngest gamers out there. So when you own something in a game, do you really own it? You want that one, Patrick? Or- Oh yeah, yeah. Anybody? I'll, I'll take it. I mean, I'm I've I'm involved in my own gaming project nice. using blockchain. So we were part of the Engine early adopter program. So Engine made their core business originally was a platform similar to Discord, and uh, actually Discord was made by people who broke away from Engine. So I talk about <laughs> Engine, but that, but that's the history of it, and. Um, I stayed, I was Facebook friends with the CTO of Engine's wife before Engine Coin. And this was when Engine were still just quite a small business. And uh, they weren't making that big of a profit. And even though VTech was CTO of Engine and people use it globally and it's known by gamers very, very well. Uh, he, Vancouver is such an expensive city that, you know, him and his wife were kind of struggling to get by and they were coming up with side businesses and all kinds of stuff. And I, I stayed with them for a week in Vancouver in uh, 2016. It was around uh, the same time like Trump just got elected. And I'm like, just before Bitcoin went crazy and Ethereum went crazy. Um, but anyway, we, we, we shared a lot of ideas. And at that time, like Engine Coin was just sort of a twinkle in his eye. And just he was 
doing coloring books as well. Him and his wife were making coloring books at the same time. So, so anyway, um, we both had like our own ideas on what it was for. And then maybe around 2018, a couple of years later, 2019, we started to diverge on what our ideas were. Um, but anyway, that's, that's where I'm coming from. Okay. So that's some backstory. And then, and then in terms of crypto and consciousness, it's quite interesting because it's like in the implementation, people end up disagreeing and it's what sort of engineers can do and build physically that can then be turned into a, a product that you can form communities around and sell. And that's sort of what drives the narrative on social media. And generally, I would say publicly, is it's done ex post facto after what's possible on the platform. Mm -hmm. So there's not a lot of like community members and people actually like interested in getting down to code level and like understanding what's going on enough for them to be smart buyers. And I think this is why people do dumb stuff and kind of can't differentiate what's going on in the market because generally people aren't willing enough to, to understand more. And I would say like, first off, if you're invest, if you're getting involved in this and you are thinking about buying X or Y token, like read up and understand it because it's very unregulated and uh, a lot of people have been burned in the past and will continue to be burned. So that's, that's number one. Number two is, if engine what they did specially was they created ERC one one five five, which was a token mint factory smart contract that let you make fungible and non fungible tokens by making calls to this smart contract. Yeah, it was very interesting. And you you could kind of adjust the parameters on the smart contract, and you there was a thing on it where every time an engine item was traded, uh, there was a trading fee that the game company could um, implement on the item that would send engine coin uh, back to the game creator. So it allowed them to kind of have a sales tax on their token ecosystem, which is good. That was quite interesting. But in terms of like, what's the difference between a fungible and non-fungible token? Well, a fungible token is like a, a share or money. Okay, it's things, they're all the same. You divide them up, it's still the same thing. A non-fungible token sort of can't necessarily be divided and is a unique thing in and of itself. So non-fungible things are like property, art, cars, for example. So in terms of like getting out into the real economy and using blockchain for real world items, non-fungible tokens are great because they create a unique ID for each individual thing. Thinking about how do we use this in the real world? Whereas I think in the ICO thing people just minted up a bunch of erc20 tokens and sold them i mean how much did it cost them to make the erc tokens nothing nothing van Beck's, great example of this they were advising the world bank and un i met van Beck's when same time i was meeting vtech they were advising the world bank un then four years later i found out that kevin hobbs was an, a known felon okay like well, in 2016, that's like in the news now. Uh, this uh, character that you just mentioned, uh, you know, I just wanted to let, uh, you know, the audience know, like who this person is, what's his background. I mean, since we are 
on this talking on the subject. Okay, well, there's there's no you like Taryn, go and check the documents. Go and do like the Joe Rogan, Alex Jones thing. Like after I've said all this stuff, because you'll find okay. it all online. Like okay. Van Beck's were a ICO marketing agency, and they did stuff for Engine. And the tech told me at the time, I don't like these guys. They're shady. Kevin Hobbs has been to some shady stuff. Mm. Um, okay. Like he was found with drugs and money. Okay. And right. that's in the paper. That was in the papers like six months ago. I found that out. The UN. Okay. Mm-hmm. This guy, this is a known felon. What is he doing advising the UN? Okay. And then they, all they made was an ERC 20 contract for their ICO investors and they were given like $10, $20 million. Kevin Hobbs spent $3 million at Vancouver Casino and delivered a, a smart contract that was no better than ERC-20 and are being chased by the feds now. You, you know, if you look at it, uh, I think he was the perfect guy to pull this con, no? Like he already was a felon and now, you know. Yeah, he's a if, fall guy. Yeah, but he's a fall yeah, guy to, probably, yeah. There's people above them. Okay, Kevin Hobbs is not smart enough to do all this stuff himself. He's the front mm. man for there's some very smart cro- very crooked people in this in this thing. Okay, I think that's like that's why how what percentage of the ICOs were successful? Like right. 1%, 2%? Where right. are all the people what happened to all the people who <laughs> yeah. you know, all the pink screen wojacks, so to speak, you know, all the ones who got screwed over by the Bogoms, where are they? You know, it's to me like this part of this crypto consciousness is bringing them back in and telling them what happened, okay, and actually having a safety and security mindset and giving them the tools to be able to discern the good from the bad. Because you you open the fl- you open the gates, and the first people to swim in are the sharks. Whenever there's money, whenever they mm-hmm. smell blood, it, they're always first there. And this is about money and power, essentially. So. Yes. Invest in the people with the values that you'd want to give money to. Then there may be different from your own values. Okay. We all get money how we get money. But when we're investing the money with the other people, they have to be trustworthy. It has to be the Quaker Oats brand, you know, like like tried and tested, does what it says on the tin. And you know, the good thing about crypto that I feel, first we're going to talk about the good, the, then perhaps go into the worst part of it is, uh, or maybe do the reverse. I, I don't know. But uh, the good part that I personally felt, and uh, you know, Russ can add to it too, uh, when it, uh, uh, is that the good part is that you don't even have to pay for it. Yes, you have to pay for it in terms of your time, uh, you know, the resources, suppose if I'm running a mining, well, not, I, I don't call for Bitcoin, but other coins, if, if you're into it, you can just not, you know, put any amount of money, but some resource and time into it, right? So you don't have to buy into the pyramid scheme, if you want to call it like, hey, you know what, like, you can get out anytime, you can get in anytime. So that part I like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the best place for people to start would be like Steemit and um, DTube and just th- things built on the original Steam platform where you don't have to invest any money, but you can sort of get involved and be part of it um, just by being a consumer or a, a, a co- an unstaked content creator. And you can start to feel your way around. I have a lot of respect for the Steam community that they've been... 
the, te- the people criticize the technology, but it's the technology plus the people in it works well. Um, and it, it, what Steam has is a very messy but sound in the end governance structure. Mm-hmm. I think like blockchain governance is another thing people need to get uh, an understanding of because it's failed a lot of chains in the past and it's something Bitcoin doesn't really have to worry about too much. But I think if we're at the end of the first inning of nine in the blockchain story, that it definitely the second inning will start to include ideas like blockchain governance more, much more if we're talking about proof of stake and things like this. Because the thing about this podcast is, is I think crypto and consciousness is like a great <laughs> title for it because everyone's coming at crypto from a different angle, mm-hmm. okay, from their own life experience and how they see the world working and how sort of crypto can either help them to make money or help them to do what they were already mm-hmm. doing before, but in a better way. So I, I've been in it for almost 10 years now. And, you know, I have 10 years of experience. Like not many people have that. And I've been laser focused on doing what like I want to do. Having said that, it's like Russ and I are different people. Okay. With different backgrounds, like we're coming from different places. Oh, I mean, here's the thing is like the reason why I stuck around in this crypto space is because the crypto space gave me something that the world couldn't like, and it's never been replicated. Uh, Like I can't find it out in, you know, the non-crypto world per se. Like, so I don't know, like I, I, and it is ironic that we're talking about crypto and consciousness because I feel like crypto kind of gives you like crypto in a way, or let's just call it the blockchain. Um, sort of validates consciousness. Uh, yeah, I know it sounds a little bit crazy, but it, I go back to the whole, if a tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, did it really fall? You know, and then you got this global state. It's like, we don't need to, I mean, the fact that you don't have to trust anymore is liberating in itself. Like it's just, it's just truth. So we get to save that anxiety problem, you know, getting lied to all the time, but yeah. you're supposed to trust. Well, for example, <laughs> I, I said in my recent lecture that to to do something like posting on the bitcoin blockchain as it is today in the past even just before bitcoin would have you'd have had to have been a corporation or a government entity and spent like a lot of effort time and money to get that level of precision and knowingness of secure ownership okay and and bitcoin lets you do that I mean, even though Bitcoin transaction costs at the moment are pretty high, still, even if it's like $100, it used to cost $10 million before or, or more. And that's, it's incredibly empowering to know that yeah. when, you, when you do something, it can't be taken back. Whereas in the shady world, the day-to-day downtown world, urban world that we're used to, anything we do can be taken back. And we're always looking over our shoulder and having to protect ourselves and being like hyper-aggressive. Like I ended up becoming such a hyper aggressive person in my daily life because it was just, (laughs) uh uh-huh. Yeah. And you're probably feeling a bit of that energy now, but it's. That's two Red Bulls. (laughs) (laughs) What what I love about 
I, th- I think like Bitcoin and blockchain, they're so radically empowering. And that's what like Ross, mm-hmm. that's the vibe I get from Ross is like, yeah, it is. this just changed my life. And I, that's, I just want Sounds more people cheesy. to feel that. But, <laughs> no, yeah. but it's not, it's not true. true. It is you know. true though. Like, I don't feel like it's ever been like, like, I don't feel like I've ever been the same since I've like been really taking crypto seriously. Um, like it, it really is empowering for sure. It's a good word to use. Yeah, so Russ had a point that uh, I had a thought around and I wanted this. We also talked is he mentioned. So this is trustless system, right? So it's a trustless system. Now, for the sake of the topic of this discussion, like, do we need even consciousness for in a trustless system? Why? Why do we need consciousness or like by consciousness? I mean, self-reflecting on on. Uh, by an individual or by a group, like a collective group, like, hey, are we doing this correctly? Because, you know, when you have governor structures in place, they are always changing, right? They're dynamic and they, you know, something works, something doesn't work. So, you know, this consciousness is is definitely, it's a very weird thing talked about by philosophers, mathematicians, scientists, nobody can define it, right? Like this mind-body problem, like, what is the mind? Mind is within the brain or is it out, like without the body, is there a mind? So it's the same way without a blockchain, is there say crypto consciousness? Like, you know, I, I don't know. This is, no, I'm throwing it no, out there. Well, I think Roger Penrose had the most simple Occam's razor answer to this. And he said that like consciousness is not non-computational mm-hmm. and no one's really, there's people, it's, I, I, I think of, a lot of this is just marketing spin and hype right. of like singularity university people, some kind of utopian future. And then they punt a, and then that justifies a whole bunch of investment in boondoggle, Silicon Valley boondoggle projects right. and sort of justifies the actions of big tech. Like there's some, that there is an end goal. I don't think there really is any kind of zeitgeist really. I think, um, uh, Consciousness is non-computational and really I see blockchain purely as like an engineering tool, like a sword or a knife to just cut through the bullshit and allow people to be less aggressive, less looking over their shoulder. They can be more confident that what they do is going to be recorded and transparent and recognized. (laughs) So they're more incentivized to do good things and to improve themselves and just generally expand their consciousness and lead a more self-responsible life, which I think that's the sort of problem today. We're too dependent on institutions and everyone's becoming a bit hyper-aggressive and that's being fueled by social media, um, democratic subversion, deliberate democratic subversion. People people feel powerless. So yeah, our identity built on propaganda. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's all just, it's, it's built on sand. Whereas blockchain allows it, even just something as simple as factum and Bitcoin could, could be so radically powerful to, to property rights and Mm -hmm. to uh, engineering quality assurance um, to, to micro businesses and we're only just scratching the surface. Yeah, it's funny because I'm realizing how much people value truth. Like I value truth so much more because of this like blockchain tech. And I also realize how many people detest truth because of the blockchain tech. Like they're just like, like we can't, this can't work in our normal system. So we got to change some things up because our nonprofit organization would not like all of our funds to be transparent. Human beings, when they cooperate, create such an extraordinary amount of wealth. And, and 
Uh, Nelson Mandela said this, like many spiritually aware conscious people know the power of humanity. And it's there are people siphoning so much money off the top in various ways. And to, I'm going to plug my lecture series, but my lecture series breaks this down, okay, in a way that just resolves it down to a hacking problem, which is Bitcoin is built on top of hacker technology, okay? And I guess that's what I've always been. But there's people hacking. Have you seen, what's the film Office Space? There's a good example of this. Love where, that movie, oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, and, and they hack the system and they change the float to an integer or something and then take off the 0.1p of like millions and millions of transactions type of thing. Everyone's doing that, okay? And some people are doing it worse than others, okay? And there's actually very, very few people in this world, and I've learned this from long experience as an engineer and in small business, actually with this strong integrity doing the right thing. And Bitcoin, blockchain and Bitcoin technology allow our sort of underground anonymous rebel group to go and beat down a path to all the big institutions and say, why aren't you using this? And asking really tough questions and watching them squirm. It's great. Russ, you shouldn't see it as yeah. a bad thing. Just see it as a good thing. Because it, it's every time this happens, someone's, something's been exposed. And it wouldn't be possible without this tech. No, I agree. You know, we are getting to the bad thing now. You know, we were in the gray zone. Now I think oh. I want to talk talk about the dark side. I was almost happy. <laughs> <laughs> and we can go on and, you know, once you are super happy, then we can bring you down, you know? I almost saw the rainbow <laughs> and butterflies. Man. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, um, uh, so, you know, just to finish off the good side, the fungibility, non-fungibility part, I would say is a unique thing to crypto. Uh, and it's, you know, the code gives the ability to for you to own something. Uh, as the Russ pointed out in the beginning, the house analogy, like you own the house once you fully paid off. If if you're not fully paid off, well, at least in America, you, you still own the house, but like countries like China, you yeah. never own the house. Well, you, you know? never own the house in yeah, the yeah, states yeah, either. Yeah, like, yeah. I the mean, government yeah. can always take it. That's, yes, that's the, yes, that's the thing I so, love about crypto. Just take right. it in the context of right now. Yeah, if I had a wallet that no one knew that I had, you could try to take yeah. that money, but like you would never find it. Yeah, so you, if, can't, if, you can't yeah. dethrone me, if you will. Like basically, a government entity couldn't just turn off my chip. At least not at the moment. Yeah, at least not at the moment. Yeah, that's not yet. Moment. I'll not say yet. not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. It, unless right. we win. Unless well, we win. Well, I'll, I'll in order to win, I would argue that we need to regulate ourselves and um, instill the good sort of safety and security engineering into what we're doing. Because if that doesn't happen, then you'll get regulated by people you don't want to be regulated by yeah yeah sorry. i want to i want to plug like one thing like that the one other last thing that the blockchain has done for me and that's what like this you should just do a podcast and like what has blockchain done for you uh, <laughs> oh oh that okay. was it i basically so the thing is is i i i genuinely um and happily trust government entities way less and not only that but i i've realized how much i don't need them uh, at least in the in the past like several years, like I've I've really come to terms with the fact we don't we truly don't need banks, and 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 like that you know obviously they have a uh, time limit now, um, but like banks are just one banks are a joke, 
in general, the fact that we have banks and the way that they function is to me, this is, I'm, I'm watching Patrick's face to see if he's impressed with what I say. <laughs> I, I, so my stance on things, this will give you some context. I think the war on drugs was the dumbest decision we ever made. Full one, you should educate people more. Let's just start there. Like, let's just assume like we have an educated, you know, like world. Um, but then you should give them the benefit of the doubt. Like, let me learn on my own, you know, let, don't regulate the crap out of stuff where I never even get yeah. the potential to learn the hard way, you know, like, cause the thing is like I, before, like, you know, like buying into tokens and stuff and like even having that synthetic ICO feeling with, with the way you can do stuff on decentralized exchanges, you can have a synthetic ICO. Like it's not like technically, I mean, it has, it, it looks like an ICO feels like an ICO, but you know, it, it, you know, you can do that with decentralized. And now that it's all like decentralized, but it, it gives you this empowerment that honestly, I don't even know if I would have had the opportunity to feel like a, uh, what do they call them? Like to feel like a serial investor. Like it really did like give you an opportunity to be something that the world may have never given you the opportunity to become. Like the fact that uh, uni, uh, oh, the, an interesting thing that happened with a uh, uh, Uniswap they dropped $400 for anyone that, you know, used their platform. It's a decentralized exchange. If anyone's listening, they don't know about it, but Uniswap dropped 400 of their tokens uh, for an airdrop, which at the time was like twice as much as, or it was like, yeah, it was more than the stimulus package that the government gave us. So in, in essence, like, like this, this private company did way better than what the government could have done for us in a time of like need. Give me my commission, Uniswap. <laughs> you know, but my my problem here is the sustainability of such a model, right? You can do this once, you can do this twice, you can do this marketing gimmicky stuff all day long, right? You can create tokens and you can say, hey, but my question is, are you actually creating value in the long term? I, I right? think, I think I side with, because I think Patrick would agree with me. You create the right system and 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 basically it will like police itself. It will actually like have the longevity that, that it needs to. I, I give a lot of uh, credit to the global state and basically things of that nature. Um, and I think transparency like has to happen in order for this to work right. And then like we inherently deserve that as human beings, like, right. Like a choice like that literally, like, like slowly, but surely like, our choices in life are just getting limited. Like who? Well, I, I get born. Like I don't want a social security number. I don't get a choice to choose. Like when I'm born, I get to like be subscribed to a system. I didn't say yes or no to that. Like now I have, now I have a social security number and you branded me and now I'm part of the system that, you know, it's a very good thing to like have this critical thinking kind of uh, framework that you can hey, say, okay, this is good for me. This is bad for me. This is good for my family. This is not good for my family. Uh, yes, you. The privacy part. Uh, the reason I mention is like in India recently. You know, the actors, their private uh, information was got leaked. I think I talked to you about that. I mean, that's like a billion, like a almost a. What is the population of India now? I think ten billion. Like, so they are trying to learn. They are learning about, uh, you know, a privacy which they never did. And you know, we never had social security numbers back in India. You know, there were no social security numbers when I grew up there. And now they have the social security, the medical insurance, all the Western things coming to an Eastern country. Uh, and, you know, so I wanted to like, I was thinking like, so the Eastern philosophy of collectivism and then the Western philosophy of individualism, like, hey, my rights, my privacy, my space, uh, you know, whatever you want to call it. 
like what is the balance there like in terms of because both are extreme ends are bad like if you go to like eastern philosophy collectivism like don't have a individuality or unique thought of your mind or unique thinking process or like yeah you disagree with somebody no you have to agree because everybody you are going to make everybody happy you know that's also mm-hmm. one extreme and then the other extreme is like hey you know what like i'm just going to do my own thing i don't give a crap about everybody else so you know where is the balance well, so yeah. yeah i mean it's a, it's a, i, I wish yeah russ and i in terms of our own societies are very much on the individualistic side i'm extremely individualistic very much I so would, i would say i'm on like the opposite spectrum i mean in a, in a sense in some aspects but it well it's like emotionally i am 100% i love everyone I work very hard on my spirituality and in my emotions I I lo- I love everyone but then on a day-to-day level I can't speak to anyone because I'm I'm working on what I'm working on right and and when you get involved with people they want to be made happy they you they want you to agree with them and- so I feel like his I feel like Patrick's mission is so important that he would sacrifice the social aspects in order to create an environment that actually can facilitate like genuine I like right now people make fear-based decisions because the world is crazy like I would love a world that I didn't have to make fear-based decisions like because I want I don't want my family to starve I do a b and c like I would love to know that food rations will you know I'm not like you know I, I'm not I don't know if this I'm, I don't like communes or anything like that but I'm just saying like there there's a better way to do things then you know like once the, yeah. the I mean, in terms done. of in terms of my vision having like basic housing basic productive capacity like basic food rationing stuff like this will be easy to do and as, as soon as i deal with people like russ is like one of the only ordinary guys i can deal with yeah he's, he's very so, awesome he's so high energy and he's so has such a good heart mm-hmm. but you know most people you know all they care about is money tomorrow and the football and the beer and you can't you and you can never say anything offensive to them right. so you know on, with around most people i'm always walking on eggshells and i appreciate where they're coming from because i used to live that life too but now i'm living this life mm-hmm. and i have to be like militantly just on what i'm doing so, and you know it's fine you know human beings are complex creatures right we can't just uh, have the uh, like we work on things that we love like tesla example just i'm giving an example you know he built something that benefited the entire world but he was a very loner kind of guy he would do stuff on his own right but he was mm-hmm. building something for the collective good i mean i can say the same stuff for satoshi right satoshi built something maybe he's a one guy let's suppose he's a single guy not a group of guy uh, collective people right or hall finney or who whosoever it is so he built something that he thought would do good to the world and he did it in his own um you know free time or his own um uh you know full time or whatever right and and so there are people out there that want to build stuff which people consider a social but they are creating social sustainable things 
Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I'm not trying to get at the mindset of that, but what I'm trying to get at is in the context of like, um, uh, say, a blockchain or a governor stu- governance structure where you want to run things and you say, okay, elect these officials as in, in, in uh, or delegators or people who own the currency or the token. Like if everybody is unique and then you're trying to come to a collective good, you want to call it like good and bad is also relative, right? Like you mm-hmm. might have do something with good intentions, but the whole community might have not thought through it. And maybe in the future, that becomes bad, you know? So I think we got to think more deeper into building these governor structures in, in, and blockchain of course is not the panacea or a solution to everything, right? There are certain mm-hmm. things that, you know, it can never solve. Technology can never solve. I think today people are trying to force too much agreement from others in a social way. And that's, flowing over into politics and then when it can't be solved politically mm-hmm. flows over into overt violence mm, yeah. and what we need to, what the blockchain can radically do for me is divorce the good work we do which we often do in the shadows and and actually bring us to more human scale like groups of 150 of the Dunbar number where we're socially safe and we kind of create a cellular human society where we're, we're only interacting on the big global scale over the things we really need to. But most of the time we're, we're in our groups and, and, and we're safe. And I think it's, it's in converting politics and technocracy and all this stuff is about converting the work we do at ground level into sort of, a stake in the power structure such that money comes back and that money buys you things and gives you a certain sense of predictability about how you can interact with stuff. That's sort of breaking down now. It's breaking down in the financial system. It's breaking down in politics. It's about the work we do and how that converts to insurable predictive capability that we're going to put food on our table and we're going to live in a safe environment. That's what blockchain does in, in my opinion, that that's how it should be framed in terms, in terms of the work we do giving us a stake in power such that we can live a a nice, safe, predictable life. Right now, I think people are too much focused on speculation and, stuff going on in the clouds they don't really understand it's yeah if, if i believe if i understand collectivism like correctly um i think in the right context it would be like um like the garden of eden type scenario uh i do actually believe that the blockchain solves a lot more than meets the eye and i feel like 90 percent of what the blockchain is going to solve hasn't even been discovered um and I think it does. I, I just, I'm really passionate about uh, the whole idea of people policing themselves. And I do subscribe to the fact that like people do a whole lot better when things are like transparent. And here's the thing is that like, I think if this is going to work to its fullest potential and even include this idea of collectivism is that if, if, if they're knocking on our doors telling us that, or if, so basically our IPs and our ISPs, our internet service providers, at least in the States, 
can legally sell our data for profit without yeah. our permission, basically they're double dipping, which is insane. I feel like if you're getting to make a, pro- I, I should get free internet at least. So anyway, my, my thought is like, I'm, I like the idea of collectivism. I think it can work, but I don't think it ever will work because um, not everyone wants to be brought out into the light. And because of that fact, we're going to ha- always have this battle. Like, because I mean, you just can't shed light on things that, that people really don't want you to, especially if they have a lot of, power the great thing about the blockchain it is unstoppable if they could have stopped bitcoin they would have stopped it by now but you know it's uh where the second to the ninth inning will be played is in these kinds of quality assurance and seamless provenance um tools that will then feed into prediction markets and insurance and allow people doing ordinary work to feel that their good contributions are safe and secure and then insurable according to prediction markets. And if, if they have the engineering plus the insurance, that automatically converts into financial products. And that will allow ordinary people to act on an equal footing with the financial system today. Oh my belly boys blow. Soon may the weatherman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. Soon may the weatherman come to bring us sugar and tea and rum. One day when the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. She had not been two weeks from shore and down on her our eight will bore. The captain called all hands and swore he'd take that whale and go.